Good evening. You're listening to 93.5 in Nelson, 96.5 in Crawford Bay, 101.5 in the Lower Slocan Valley, and 107.5 in New Denver. You are listening to Query with Ah. Uh, Tonight we're actually just Axel and a special guest, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello. Uh, Bria and Shaz aren't here tonight. They are too busy to come and record radio with us, which is sad for them, but we're still here. So we're glad you are too. We're going to start out with a song. This song is called Do Whatever the Heck You Want by non-binary artist Ray Spoon. Should I be a man or a woman? What does that really mean? That was Ray Spoon, Do Whatever the Heck You Want. And you're listening to Query, the queerest hour on Cooney Co-op Radio, where we chat with each other and have a great time. Uh, today I am joined in the studio with Jason and you may be wondering who is this Jason character? I've never heard of Jason. I've just been getting used to Axel, Brie and Shaz and I'm quite fond of them. And then there's this interloper here. Um, but I can tell you listeners that I'm very excited to have Jason here, uh, because a, he has a great voice for radio. I think you will all agree. So get excited and B um he's just a cool person so welcome jason wow thank you for having me tonight what is your relationship to this radio show how did you hear about us (laughs) (laughs) my relationship to this radio show is being forced to listen by you Um, (laughs) untrue (laughs) untrue no um i like to call myself query's number one groupie i'm tuning in every sunday night at 10 p.m 93.5 nelson um, <laughs> <laughs> we're very happy to have you as our groupie mm-hmm. and i'm sure i'm part of the tens and tens of enthusiastic listeners on <laughs> sunday night at 10 p.m cool great well we're happy to have you as our groupie and very excited you're here uh you don't you don't really live in nelson full-time do you you're here for a, a, a time right now. Yeah, yeah. I've come up to Nelson to spend about a month here. My bestest buddy in the whole wide world moved up here at the start of September, and I visited around Pride season and got to connect with the beautiful and vibrant queer community here in Nelson and um, have been living in a pretty busy, big city, and I'm kind of on a search for, for what might be next because I've got one speed, and it's chill, and that speed is not uh, not happening in the city, so I'm looking for a place to to hang out in a more permanent sense that uh, matches my speed a little. And I've I've been told, and I've been feeling that that Nelson is also on that chill timeline. And how long have you been here so far? Mm, I got in on Friday, so today is a week that I've been in Nelson. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here. Me too. Uh listeners i thought i would just let you know the context of how i know this person sitting in front of me uh we met back in june of this year at uh the training for camp out which is a 
summer camp for queer, trans, and two-spirited youth that happens on Coast Salish territory uh, every year. And I have been to camp a few times. Jason had been to camp before, and we both went to camp this past year. Uh, so that is how we met. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And I also enjoyed meeting a very glittery Shazad at gay camp this summer. <laughs> oh, yep. He brought an incredible energy to that place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you are interested in learning more about Camp Out, you can find out uh, about it on the Internet. And if you're interested in attending, it's uh, open to youth uh, in B.C. and Yukon between the ages of 14, 14 and 21. 21. And uh, and adults can volunteer uh, as mentors and cabin leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's a really magical community and general island of gay fun. Mm-hmm. I remember first reading about Camp Out, and as I started reading it, I was like, I have to find a way to be involved with this. Like, just to think about if I had been able to access that as a young, confused, very, very lonely, queer youth. Um, I can't even imagine how it would have changed my life. And it's it's so beautiful to see these young folks building relationships that, uh, yeah, where they can really support each other and, and be seen and be heard. Mm, yeah, community is so important for having a space to experiment and uh, be seen in your many glittery selves and try on new things. And Camp Out is a very welcoming and uh, safe space for people to explore those sorts of things. And just like any space where you're gathering 65 youth and a bunch of leadership and a bunch of young folks in the same place, shit comes up sometimes and things can get, you know messy and sticky but uh we all learn a lot from the ways that we deal with all the different things that come up gathering so many different people in the same space Mm -hmm. for like six days it's wild learning so (laughs) much learning and discomfort and that's okay Mm, yeah some of the best discomforts i've sat with were during camp out over the last couple years and mm, that comfortable discomfort Mm. Yeah, I find learning has to be uncomfortable in a way. Mm. Like if it's not uncomfortable, then it's not challenging you. I mean, I guess it could be challenging you in in ways that feel comfortable. Uh, But I think culturally, uh, we have a tendency to try to avoid discomfort and the kind of, I guess, capitalist paradigm rests upon making yourself as comfortable as possible and surrounding yourself with material possessions in the hope that you will just be chill all the time and never have to face the consequences of some of the choices that we make as individuals and as a society. So, yeah, being able to have a space where you can be held in discomfort and be encouraged to sit with it and to grow through it is really cool. Mm -hmm. I am thankful for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool too, that there's 
this really broad age range at camp uh, for the youth, but also the mentors and uh, staff people who are there to support. But uh, I find often, you know, a lot of summer camps, they're more focused age-wise. Um, I mean, what is it, like a seven, eight-year span? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of differences between being 14 and being 21. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a big range. Yeah. And even within just the youth, like, a lot of really beautiful mentorship takes place there. And, you know, some of the the younger folks or even it's not that directly correlating to age, right? You have youth coming with all sorts of different um, experiences with their identities and how long they've been. um, Yeah. Even like able to think about those things. Um, And so, yeah, seeing them support and mentor one another, like sometimes I felt like um, all I needed to do was hold the space and they were like doing all the supporting of each other. And it's so beautiful to see. Um, And, also how like how healing that can be for an individual to like connect with and support someone else and provide some support to another person that maybe they wish they had at that time in their life. Mm. Yeah. The youth are so cool. (laughs) They know a lot. And hilarious and talented. One of my favorite parts is the community celebration where, um, the youth are invited to share, you know, whatever they want to share. Maybe it's a song, maybe it's a joke, maybe it's some art that they've made. And seeing what these young people are putting out into the world, it's just amazing. And, oh my, yeah. <laughs> I'm having some good flashbacks right now. Yeah, many, many community celebration flashbacks for me too. Uh, both like... I first attended camp out as a youth uh, when I was like 20 years old. Um, Did you play Riptide on the ukulele? <laughs> oh, you bet. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. I, I I performed a spoken word poem with my sister mm. who was also there at camp out. Edgy. Uh, yeah, it was pretty edgy, <laughs> but um, people loved it, not mm. to brag, but um, I think as a poet, the best thing is when people connect to your work because that's the whole point of sharing it, you know? Uh, obviously, I could sit in my room and write as many emo poems as I want and that can feel super good and validating and I can enjoy that process. But for me, I love sharing. I love sharing my work and uh, having people say to me that they uh, they found something in my words and that they related to it and that, uh, yeah, that, that there's that opportunity to feel seen through someone else's words. And I've had that experience too of hearing a poem and hearing this one line of a poem and just feeling like that gets me. And it's so powerful to feel like, wow, somebody like, is in my head and they Mm. like wrote this word Mm. these words that connect with me so much but obviously they are not in my head i would assume anyway camp out Mm -hmm. it's a good time Mm -hmm. i'm just recalling last year at the community celebration i was invited to share a song and dance that i know about plants about six plant parts (laughs) <laughs> Do you want me to ask you to share this on the radio? Um, 
Sure. Yeah. We, let's All right. We can just back up and do it. Let's do it. Oh, right now? Yeah. I'm asking you. Okay. Please share this with our listeners. Okay. The song is called Root Stems Leaves, and it goes a little something like this. Root stems, leaves, flowers, fruits, and seeds. 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 That's six parts. Six parts. Six plant parts that plants and people need. Wow. And I just wish that they could see the dance that goes along with it. There's a lot of wiggling involved. There's a lot of flow involved. (laughs) Well, they're just going to have to track you down. (laughs) Ask you in person and do this dance. Mm. Yeah, if you find me on the streets of Nelson, I will throw down the plant dance for you. And the, and you'll just have to recognize uh, Jason by the sound of his voice. <laughs> so just start talking to people on the streets of Nelson. You never know. One of them could be holding an amazing plant dance. <laughs> just waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have you been up to while you've been in Nelson? What have I been up to? I've been exploring some of the local parks. I'm a big uh, water freak, as I like to call myself. I like being around water. I like going in water. Um, I got my pants wet in the Columbia River the other day. Um, I thought I had hiked them up high enough, but in fact, I had not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was cool. I was visiting Selkirk College, where the Kootenai and Columbia Rivers meet. Mm. Important place. And I'd mentioned at the start of the show, one of my intents being in Nelson was to to connect a little deeper with um, some queer communities here. And on Wednesday night, I went to... Uh, the Gender Outlaws Group, which um, who have pulled up the description from their website on kootenaytransgender.com. Um, the way they describe this community group um, is that it's a social support group for all transgender, non-binary, two-spirit, intersex, and gender non-conforming people, and anyone questioning their gender identity and the social constructs of gender. Um, and they hold it every second Wednesday of each month from 6 till 8 p.m. If you'd like to find more information, again, you can visit kootenaytransgender.com. Um, <laughs> so that was a little plug for the group. Um, so, yeah, I showed up. I asked if it was open to folks that are living outside of the Nelson area. Um, and I knew a friend who was going from the area. And they said, yeah, for sure. Come on out. Um, and it was really beautiful. I think the trans community here um, in Nelson and the Kootenays is somewhat small. Um, and so it was it was amazing to see um, folks gathered in the same room and to see uh, such a, a broad range of ages and experiences and identities kind of coming together and just like talking openly and... Um, yeah, some really, some really interesting conversations came up, and um, I love to see some of the the challenges in sharing space with such such broad experiences, especially with some of like the age differences. Like patience came up, and also it was so beautiful to see people like challenging themselves to be in community with one another, to be in community with people um, who maybe didn't par- want to participate in like a group s- talking circle in the same way that they did. Um, but how we all wanted to be there and show up for each other. And, um, yeah, 
it was it was really cool to peek into the the trans community that exists here in Nelson. Um, it seems like there is a recurring cast of characters that show up to the group, and that's always nice. Um, I myself facilitate a support group for trans adults in Vancouver, and we have quite the rotating cast, like in the big city. Um, you know, I don't know, people, people tend to come and go from things a lot more quickly, it seems, but when you find community um, and it feels rare to you, I think people have a certain, like a certain dedication to that or a certain commitment to that. Um, so yeah, I felt, I felt very lucky to be able to, to peek into that group a little bit. And the facilitator was really wonderful. I was definitely uh, filing a few receipts, taking a few notes for facilitation of my own group. That's really great that this group draws an intergenerational crowd. I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, queer folks live such diverse existences and that people's journeys to identifying under that spectrum of lgbtq plus uh can be so yeah different in terms of timelines and how people come into that and reminds me of this article that i once read uh called queer time the alternative to adulting by sarah jaff uh, who basically just talks about how there's this kind of normative idea of adulting and and she they mentioned that adulting was added to some dictionary or something as a <laughs> word uh, and talking about this word in the context of what are the expectations of people in terms of how we live our lives and on what time frames we are acquiring property and uh, validating our romantic relationships through the institution of marriage and having children and whatnot and all these sort of check marks of what is socially seen as normal and a good life and how queer folks and yeah just like existing as queer and thinking about the concept of queering as like a verb of kind of subverting norms and challenging the status quo of what it means to be successful in your life and challenging those ideas that you're uh that your life should look a certain way at a certain time and kind of just being like no we don't have to do that mm. yeah and it's interesting i think sometimes that a certain freedom comes with um like the barriers that queer folks face in achieving some of those quote-unquote normative success goals um, because it forces us to take that step back and actually to think about, um, oh, do I actually want that or do I just think that's what I'm supposed to do? Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I remember at a very young age um, as a trans person kind of coming to this understanding that I would never be able to meet the expectations of society and to, to meet, um, you know, what I was being told I should do or who I should be. And that kind of allowed me to take this step back and be like, well, there's no way of, of like getting, getting an A on that assignment. So, you know, what do I want to hand in? Like, what do I actually want my life to be? Because, um, 
you know, if my life is going to continue, uh, it's going to continue, um, in a way where like I'm true to myself and what does that actually look like? What, where do I actually find value in life? Um, and shockingly it's not by accumulating wealth. Um, and some of that came to me, um, in times where, um, yeah, I was like forced to look inward a little bit more than I think some folks that are a little closer to that trajectory of like what's expected of us, um, whatever that means. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting with this article. Sometimes I have challenges with people using queer as a verb, uh, and just kind of this idea that like, yeah, queering is something you can do to anything. Uh, but also it's funny when you said property accumulation, like I like am a homeowner, I guess. Um, and, but I also like live in the same household as my mom. So, um, which I think is quite non-normative. And I think a lot of people would consider a 25 year old human living with their parent as like a failure or like a sign that something is wrong with my life, that I am not like independent and, um, supporting myself and somehow distinguished from my family network. Uh, but then there's this weird thing about like having a mortgage and like also kind of like being a quarter owner of that house with my sisters, which is weird because I also like grew up, as yeah a child of like a single parent and like living in quite like um yeah low income scenario and never really imagined myself as someone who would own a house or like a quarter of a house uh so there's that yeah that feels quite odd um yeah and I I I don't want to like say that it's like queering home ownership because I still think the idea of like owning stuff, land, um, mm -hmm. houses on uh, unceded First Nations territory, and in this case, Sinaiq's territory, is pretty questionable and weird. But also, that is this world right now. So it's one way of, I guess, conceiving of this world. Um, yeah, I think another thing about timelines and kind of queer timelines is we were talking a little bit about all these youth, uh, at like at the group, uh, this week, but also at camp out and these youth who are like as young as 14 and like sometimes younger, like, uh, last month I was in Victoria for the trans tipping point project, which is another youth project that's for trans youth. And, uh, it's a, based around arts. Uh, but there was kids there as young as like 10, I think was the youngest. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's so cool that these kids are so, I want to say sure of who they are, but not all of them are. They're just like figuring it out and they're yeah. being curious and they're, they're actually having those conversations with one another and like with themselves and I oh, can access so much more language and information. And it's just, yeah, it's interesting in the shift, 
you know, I'm 26 myself now. And I think the shift that we've seen in our lifetimes of like access to information, um, is just incredible. And this had such an impact on, on queer communities. Um, you know, you see, oh, yeah, just like the level of self-awareness and questioning, right? It's not like they, um, a lot of the young folks that I speak to anyways, um, often like don't say, oh, I am this with like a, a ton of confidence. They say, oh, well, I'm questioning this and this, and this is how I feel about my gender. And they go on to describe these like very nuanced um, experiences that they've had and this like very complex relationship that they have with gender and the way that they're able to like observe that and talk about that. Um, you know, I remember as a young person having so many thoughts and feelings and observations about, um, you know, not only my gender, but the way gender was playing out in the world, but I didn't really feel like I had anywhere that was like appropriate or safe to talk about that. Um, nor did I have any language whatsoever to describe that. So it's, it's really interesting to see, um, the way these young minds can work when they, when they do have that language and they do, um, sometimes have access to spaces where they can, they can speak about that in a safe way. Mm -hmm. But then that's also not everyone's story, right? You mm -hmm. know, like not everybody is like discovering themselves at, selves at age 11. Some people, it takes a longer time to find access to that language and those ideas and people who are supportive mm -hmm. which yeah is also i don't know it's 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 cool mm -hmm. and when when you can get many of those people with many different timelines in the same room sharing their perspectives with one another we learn so much from each other um it's yeah it's so powerful and you know i've met people in their 70s that have like started transitioning in their 70s for example and um the way that they describe and i mean each person has their own has their own experience and their their own perspective but um yeah just seeing the way that we can make observations and we can we can take the reins of our own lives at, at any point and um, yeah, it's, it's quite inspiring and hard and complicated and so many things at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely seen people who are not, or yeah, been in relationship with people who are like also not ready to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And they kind of know that it's like a conversation that is going to be part of their life maybe. Uh, but they're not ready at that point to engage with it, which is also totally fair. Um, cause it's hard. It's hard to dig deep into your own soul and try to find out what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, and I think sometimes something we can see in the queer community as well is um, putting expectations onto people around timelines or around, um, you know, if a friend has a conversation with someone about how they're coming into self-awareness about a certain aspect of their identity, um, I think there's often a lot of pushing um, 
for people to come out or for people to share their thoughts and feelings with others. And although that can be really powerful, I think sometimes there's like a lack of understanding and respect for people being on their own timeline and people being, um, you know, in their own place and in their own relationships um, where it's not it's not so straightforward as just be yourself. You know, there's so much to it. There's, you know, so many of us um, come out every day or make choices around coming out every day. Um, yeah, and I feel like we want to talk a little bit about visibility and presentation and things like that. But before we dive into that, Axel, I'm jonesing for some jams. Oh my gosh, me too. What jams are we going to serve up? <laughs> well, our next song tonight uh, is called Part-Time Woman by Vivek Shreya. And Vivek is a powerhouse in the world of queer and trans activism. Um, she's a multidisciplinary artist and all-around badass. If you don't know her, look her up. She brings some really important perspective to our community. I don't shave. I don't wear makeup. No skirts, I don't dress up What does that make me? Does that make me a part-time woman? That was Part-Time Woman by Vivek Shreya and you're listening to Query on Kootenai Club Radio 93.5 FM in Nelson, CJLY. Hello. Hello again. So we've been talking a little bit about being queer on different timelines and living the rebel gender outlaw life <laughs> and reflecting a little bit, I guess, on kind of internal identity and uh, finding community around that in the last half hour. But we also wanted to chat a little bit about when those internal identity pieces meet community and meet other people and social spaces and the way that our identity interacts uh, with the ways that we present ourselves in the world and the decisions we make around that. And Jason and I have been having some good chats about this and we wanted to have some good chats for you listeners to reflect on as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the, the different ideas that we've been discussing are the ways that things like identity interacts with presentation and um, what that means for the way that you can, you can move through the world and the way that the world responds to you. Um, and something I often recommend to people um, who maybe, hmm... have kind of a, mm, I don't know how I want to say this, because <laughs> the words I was going to use were, were like normative presentation or normative identity, but I try to stay away from, from using language like that because it implies that the other things are not normal. Um, but even within myself, I find it hard, like how do you, how do you language that, right? How do you language... Um, mm, like a cisgendered straight person that presents in a way where you would perceive them as cisgendered and straight. Before we move on, do you, Axel, do you want to define the term cisgendered? Because this is one I throw around quite a bit, and I find that a lot of folks don't know what that means to be cis. 
C-I-S. Yeah, I would define that cisgender is a word that someone may use to describe themselves if they identify with the gender uh, that was assigned to them at birth. So if you're feeling comfy in the way that that was told to you and told to you for your whole life uh, and that's you're like cool with it for whatever reason, uh, you might be cisgender. Hmm. And I actually learned recently that um, the term cisgender, it, kind of in a similar way to the term heterosexual, the term cisgender was brought into common use um, by folks in like the trans community as a way of, again, moving away from saying there are trans there are trans people and there are normal people or there are trans men and then there are real men moving away from language like that and just having a word to describe what it means to identify with the gender coercively assigned to at birth and what it means to identify outside of that. They're just two different things that you can define without like a value assessment or without like saying one thing is chill and normal and one thing is gross and weird. Yeah. It's not a slur to be called (laughs) cisgender. Yeah. PSA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, quote unquote, normative presentation. Well, yeah, because I, I, there's no such thing. There's no such thing mm-hmm. as. I mean, there's. There's mainstream. There's mainstream. There's. I guess normative is not the same as normal. Mm. Uh. I think normative is what is perceived as normal. Yeah, and that changes so greatly based on where you are and what kind of communities you're in and what the cultural norms are and um, what kind of people are are gathering in a place and where they're coming from, what they know. Hmm. And there can be certain benefits to be perceived. uh, I don't know. I guess... guess like these normative identities that we're talking about are usually privileged identities uh, that are then seen as neutral uh, or neutral good in society. But then there's also the fact that that can feel really weird to have that assigned to you if that's not actually you Mm, and how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you mean as a queer person being perceived as someone who is not queer? Um, sometimes I talk about the phrase innocent until proven gay. (laughs) 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 Um, I like that. mm -hmm. And it's interesting the way that a lot of people might, might make assumptions unless they see, um, something that is like a stereotypical indicator to them of queerness or transness, um, they kind of go under the assumption that you are straight or cis. Um, And that can feel really invalidating to a lot of folks. And on the flip side, it can feel much safer than being perceived as, you know, your actual identity. I know I often kind of toe that line and um, have most certainly been in situations where I um, intentionally hide my identity as a trans person um, for my own safety. And and that's that's brought me into some interesting situations. For example, you know, being in the presence um, of some coworkers who were men um, who didn't know that I was trans and they were talking about 
um, a trans feminine person that they knew in their community and were making um, really overtly violent comments about this person um, and talking about the kinds of things that they would do to this person um, to me directly as if I agreed with them. And I had to kind of sit across from these people and look them in the eyes at my workplace um, and figure out how to, how to sit with those feelings and to know that the only thing keeping me safe was the way that I was hiding my identity from those people. But I have the ability to do that and I have the privilege to do that because I, I often get perceived as cis. That's kind of what people, people default um, to assume that I'm a cis man, um, which I'm super not. <laughs> um, and I don't want to be, and it, it does feel so great to um, be able to be out and to present as myself in places where that's safe, um, but I'm always making choices about that. What's your relationship to presentation and having people perceive your queer identity? Hmm. Uh, lots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the question was phrased or if lots makes sense as an answer. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think my initial kind of experience coming into a queer identity was very relationship based in that uh, I I didn't have a queer identity outside of like my first relationship that I had feelings for like a specific person and that kind of evolved into like oh well I guess like this person has this gender identity so like what does that mean about me mm. and I yeah have a like pretty strong relationship with femininity and and am read as a cis woman in most situations and I feel okay about that I feel like my gender is like my own business and whatever people project onto me is their own problem that they need to like unpack but yeah I guess being a feminine person who is perceived as a woman has its many, many pieces attached to that. But within queerness, I guess, um, yeah, being like a queer femme person can often be isolating. Uh, and yeah, I think because I yeah came into that through relationship there is a certain like you know if i like a femme person is like walking down the street holding hands with like another like femme or um visibly queer person then there's visibility there but when i'm just myself uh walking down the street holding my own hand <laughs> it's like yeah people are gonna read whatever they are gonna read and i don't have any control over that and i definitely like when I first came out, like cut off my hair and like started dressing more like quote unquote androgynous in this like attempt to be seen because mm. it is important. It is really meaningful to be witnessed and to be recognized by people that you share things with mm. like queerness and yeah, I don't want that to just be defined by like whoever I'm like making out with that night. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be seen for myself as well. But 
tricky. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what you were talking about earlier about um, having certain haircuts or styles, um, I've heard this described as flagging, um, which is an interesting, I had a I had a friend sit me down for a little queer one-on-one lesson the other day um, and tell me about flagging. So um, I think it started, oh gosh, I'm not going to act like I know when it started, but it's been around for a long time. And, um, you know, I've heard of different different ways of that coming up, either of just like flagging to other queer folks out in society and the world, like flags and things that we might understand are flags, but the world at large might not understand that that's a flag. And so in times when maybe it wasn't as safe to be, you know, out in your community. And I mean, there are, you know, now is also a time it's not safe to be out in many ways. Um, but in, in spaces where it's, it's not been safe to be out, um, people have been able to flag to each other in certain ways to be able to find one another within community where they can't be um, out in a broader way. Um, and then also sometimes at parties and things, you might flag to show like what you're into or who you're looking to meet that night and what you're maybe looking to do with that person. Um, so I think flagging is a really interesting concept. Um, but then I think kind of playing into this um, way of changing our presentation to be perceived by other people, um, I'm hearing from you, you know, sometimes a desire to to show aspects of your queerness in a certain way to find community. Um, and also, um, I think people play with their presentation to to move through the world more easily or just avoid talking about their identity constantly mm. um, or to be safe. I mean, some of the, the folks in our community who faced, faced the most violence for just being seen as themselves in the world um, are trans feminine folks of color. And, um, you know, so often are reacted to not only with, you know, a look or a comment, but like physical violence. And, um, I think it's really important the way that, um, you know, we address this in the world and, and start conversations about why that is and where that's coming from. Yeah, that's a big one. Hmm. I was going to say uh, a little bit about pronouns as like part of gender presentation and like playing with pronouns. And I think, yeah, in terms of like what you're saying about safety, um, like I'm a person that sometimes uses the gender neutral they, them, theirs pronoun, um, but I also use she, her, hers. And I mean, I refer to myself as they, um, if I'm, if I'm talking about myself in the third person, which doesn't happen super often, but occasionally does. But yeah, it really depends on the context of how that space is and whether I'm going to have to explain what that means to people and, and also that that is like a way that like I flag my queerness in certain spaces is using certain pronouns to be like, hey, like, please don't assume that you know everything about me because you don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think 
yeah, uh, another thing that I was thinking about in relation to like walking down the street, holding hands with your sweetie and being seen. Um, I really like love seeing visibly queer couples on the street, like holding hands and being affectionate. And Mm -hmm. often I want to like recognize that I see them and I too am a queerdo. And feel a bit weird about that sometimes being like, oh, gosh, are they just going to think that like I'm an obnoxious straight woman (laughs) who's just like fetishizing Mm -hmm. them Um, or yeah, just wanting to be like, I see you and like I'm here too." show them some like sly finger guns (laughs) like, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember being a young person and. The first time I went to Pride, I was living in Vancouver at the time. I think I was 15 and I went to Pride and I was super not out. I was super afraid of anyone knowing I was queer. Um, but I scuttled down to the Pride Parade anyways. And just to see queers and to to see them being visible and to see them existing and living and breathing um, was so powerful. And um, sometimes I think about... Um, flagging and being visible as something that can be really visible or sorry, really powerful for other people to witness um, whether you know like what that means to them or not. Um, Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Seeing each other feels good. I also have had that thought of being like, yeah, in like a visibly queer, like femme on femme relationship and feeling like seeing like, little baby queers and being like oh like yay there's they see us and we see them like they yeah can feel like there's a future for them Mm -hmm. um and there's a place for them to be and they're not like alone Mm -hmm. they can see we do exist (laughs) but it's tricky because like sometimes having to flag feels like a chore if it's not actually how you feel Mm. like authentically presenting yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were chatting a little bit earlier before the show today about, um, you know, I was sharing, I have many friends who, um, identify as, as femme in some way. And, um, it feels really good to them to present as feminine and to express themselves in that way. But as queer women, they find often, um, when presenting as femme, they're either not seen by other queers or not taken seriously, um, by maybe folks who aren't queer, who are questioning their identity and being like, but you know, what's that? Oh fuck. I've heard it said before. Like you're too pretty to be a lesbian or like you're too pretty to not be straight and serve men. Like just like shit like that, that I think often queer femmes get so tired of dealing with that or feeling unseen that often they'll push themselves to like get an undercut or like, or have really short hair or wear something super overtly queer that maybe wouldn't be like their first choice from within. Um, but they make that choice to, to change the way the world responds to them. Um, which is so interesting this way that our, our identity interacts with our presentation. Um, and yeah, you know, we wish that we could just be true to ourselves and, and move through the world in a way where we're just expressing, you know, ourselves in the way that we want to but the realities of of the way that the world 
changes in response to us um, influences those choices that we make each day. Legit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got a song for you. It is a very special number that is by a musical group known as Tribe 8. Uh, they were, I believe they're not going any anymore, sadly, for all of us. But they were a LGBTQ punk rock band uh, in the 90s. And this is a song called Femme Bitch Top. Mm, a personal favorite of mine. Throw it down. Yes, Hello, welcome back. That was Fem Bitch Top by Tribe Eight. And you're listening to Query. But we're about to wrap up. Uh, it's been fun. We've had lots of, lots of good chats tonight, eh? <laughs> yeah, this has been really neat. This is my first radio experience, period. It's cool to see all the thingamajiggies in the office that make the radio magic happen and to feel how weird it feels to hear your own voice and how worried I am about all the things I've said here tonight. You've been great. You've been <laughs> an excellent guest. Listeners, I wanted to let you know about an event that's happening on November 23rd, Community Connect Day is back. Are you struggling to make ends meet, spending all your money on rent and groceries with little left over for anything else? This year's Community Connect Day takes place on Saturday, November 23rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Central School Gym. It's a day of free services, including dental, eye and foot care, goods such as winter boots, coats, and socks, information and resources from several local agencies, and delicious food and fun for the whole family. Connect Day recognizes that we can take a community approach to help take care of one another. Contact Rebecca at 250-352-6011, extension 5266, for more information. Community Connect Day is great, y'all. I have worked helping to organize it and it is a lot of work but it's really amazing and everything is free and you can just go and eat pizza and get some free winter boots and i'll be there uh hanging out at the women's center booth so come say hello remember that you can listen to any episodes that you may have missed on our podcast platform anchor fm or on spotify or apple podcasts or some other podcasting places too so do that and become queries number two groupie because the number one spot is taken (laughs) (laughs) for Um, now Are you going to like jump ship or are you just hoping to like become a permanent star of the show and therefore leave transcend groupie status? Well, I just feel like I'm ready to be overthrown. You know, if someone comes in here and they prove that they know more about you, Axel, or you, Axel, you are Axel, about you, Shaz and Bria than I do, then let's throw down. And if you beat me, you won number one groupie fair and square. Have it. It's yours. All right. Well, there you go. A challenge. (laughs) 
for all you listeners out there. Have a lovely Sunday evening. Sweet dreams, everybody. Good night.